Well, welcome to Christ the King Community Church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here to the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those who are watching at our Ferndale campus. And a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. We're just glad that you've chosen to, to be a part of our family at this particular time. A couple of announcements as we get started. You're going to notice at both campuses that your program is becoming a novel. And it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we get ready to ramp up for fall. September is not when we kind of hit our stride around here. We actually wait till all the college students get back. That comes in April. But we have some things that we want you to know about well in advance. And the first one is this. We're going to be baptizing on October 2nd and 3rd. It's going to culminate a series that we're calling Deep. And I want to let you know well in advance of that so you can begin to put that on your calendar and think about whether that's God's moment for you to be obedient in baptism. We're also going to change up our baptism structure. We're not actually going to be doing classes the same day anymore. We found we didn't have enough time to get to know people and hear their stories. So we're going to be having one baptism class the week before. And you have to come to that baptism class if you're going to be baptized the following week. And our hope and goal there is to build a relationship with the people that we're baptizing so that when we celebrate their baptism, we can truly celebrate along with them. So that's going to happen October 2 and 3. As I mentioned, we have a new series starting September 11th and 12th, and it's called Deep. And I want to give you fair warning, okay? I'm going to pop if I don't get this sermon series out of my system. God has been running this around inside of my heart and my brain for almost two years. He's been birthing it inside of me for months. I feel like I'm going to spontaneously combust if I don't get this series out. And it's kind of the one time a year when we're going to talk to the church. I'm talking to the family of Christ the King. And my question to you is, where are you going to strategically plan to go deep in your relationship with God this fall? So we're going to kind of circle up as a family talk on some very blunt scriptures. And then on September the 12th, as an extension of that, I'm calling the leaders of Christ the King together after the 1130 service. You'll know you're a leader if this, if you lead anything, if you can say, I lead a ministry, I lead a small group, I lead a worship team, I lead a group of people, a group of children, a group of students. If you lead them at either campus, at Ferndale or at Bellingham, I need to talk to you because before I dare ask the whole church to go deep, it would make sense to me to ask the leaders to go deep too. So that's going to be on September the 12th, Sunday afternoon. The details will come. There's going to be a lunch involved, the whole bit. But we're inviting you as a leadership family to come and join me for that time. I'd really like to ask you a very, very deep question. And uh, we're going to walk through that together. It was the Friday night after an incredibly long uh, week of ministry. I was in inner city Los Angeles with a group of high school students. We had been working down on Skid Row for an extended period of time. And on the last night of the trip, we found ourselves sitting on a beach together, praying, thinking, processing, crying, and giving of all things. At some point during our worship time that evening, one of the students threw open a guitar case and kids started putting stuff in the guitar case that they wanted to leave behind on Skid Row. I watched a young man named Tyler come and, and stick his basketball in that case. He carried that basketball with him all week long. He'd been playing street ball until his hands just about fell off. And he thought maybe somebody in L.A. could use that basketball more than he could. I watched a young man walk up and take his wallet and flip it over and empty its entire contents. Now you've got to know something. 
in our particular trip, he had to pay for his own food all the way home. He emptied out his wallet knowing he would go hungry for about the next day and a half while we traveled home. When I asked him about it later, he'd, he'd fallen in love with a little kid that he met at a place called Say Yes. And Jaquan, this little boy, he usually only got to eat once a day. So this young man figured, I think I can make it home just fine. I saw a, another young guy put a brand new pair of Nike athletic shoes into that case. He was going to wear them in basketball this coming year. And he just figured maybe somebody there could use them because he met a lot of kids that week who didn't have any shoes at all. I sat there watching these young people pour themselves into that guitar case, and I have never been so moved. I mean, why were the students giving away everything they had left? I'll tell you why. One word, compassion. We've been working with kids all week who got to eat once a day. We've been feeding homeless people who sometimes went two or three days without eating. We've been working in after-school programs with kids on, from Skid Row who, whose parents thought they were an inconvenience to their drug habit. Those people that we were ministering to, they left a mark on our souls and the students were responding with compassion because they couldn't sidestep a legitimate need that was right in front of them. They couldn't dance around it. They couldn't dismiss it. They had been met with a need right in their face. They couldn't take the easy route around somebody else's pain. They had to do something. And so they lived out the virtue of compassion right in front of me. The Bible describes an account where Jesus is being questioned by a group of religious lawyers and they're kind of after this theme just a little bit. It was not uncommon for teachers to, to, to be publicly questioned by people about their belief system. So Jesus isn't thrown off When a guy stands up who's a member of a group called the Pharisees, if you read your New Testament, Jesus and the Pharisees had a contentious relationship. They just didn't see eye to eye a lot of things. The main issue between Jesus and this group of people was that Jesus took exception with the fact that what was happening deep down inside of their souls wasn't making it to the exterior. They weren't living inside out. In fact, one time, Jesus called them on the carpet. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you're pristine white on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Here's why I think Jesus had an issue with these guys. You see, they were supposed to be representing God. But here was the problem. They represented God's brain really well. They just completely missed out on God's heart. They latched onto the how of everything. They totally forgot the why. They were trying to get it right, but they were doing it for themselves. And so what ends up happening is what happened, you know, what this often happens to us when we start living beyond ourselves. They became self-appointed spiritual cops. And they became to name, began to name themselves as the, as the junior Holy Spirits in charge of rules and regulations. And Jesus had a problem with that. Here's what happens. In Luke chapter 10, you can read along in your outline at both campuses. It's not going to be on the screens. Or may, maybe because you've heard this story before, maybe you just need to listen to it and picture it in your mind. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and and, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Let's stop there for just a second. Can you get the picture in your head? There's a real need right in front of you, right in front of them. Not a fake need, a real one. I encountered a fake need once when I was serving at, at, at another church here in the county. I, I, I got taken really, really bad. This, this, this old station wagon rolled into our parking lot and this guy got out. He had, a, he had a cast on one leg. He had a pair of crutches. He introduced me to his daughter. His daughter was wearing just this grossly dirty t-shirt and And they talked about the fact they were kind of traveling through. They needed some gas and food. They said they hadn't eaten in days. And I was unbelievably moved by this dad and his daughter. We fueled their car. We bought them food. We gave them money for their journey. And they were so thankful. We prayed over them and sent them off. And then I went up to my office on the second floor. I could see down into the parking lot through one of those old angled church windows. You know those things? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, I'm not unpacking it for you. But I look it down and, and I can see this this man and his daughter walking back to the car. And as soon as they got to the car, he popped the cast with Velcro off of his leg, threw his crutches in the back seat, threw a clean shirt to his daughter so she could change really, really quick, hopped inside, and they both said goodbye to the church I was at. They laughed all the way out of the parking lot, and I learned a very hard lesson about asking better questions. The scenario that Jesus lays out is not a fake one. It's real. Two religious men walk by, a man who's been beaten half to death, and both choose to step around the need and continue on their way. A priest, that's the first one. A person who was supposed to be connected to the very heart of God. He comes and sees a need right in front of him. Excuse me, I got a detour because I don't want to get my hands dirty. A Levite shows up, a person who was one of God's chosen men of God, a man who was supposed to lead in worship and lead in mission. And they, both of them, they get caught up in their humanity and instead of meeting a need, they decide to sidestep around it. Both of these religious men had an excuse in their brain. Both of them had an Old Testament law that said, you're just not supposed to get your hands dirty with corpses. And they were making an assumption about the condition of the guy, but they just, I'm sure, had reconciled in their minds. I just can't defile myself. Basically, they didn't want to get their hands dirty in somebody else's mess. You ever been there? Here's the point. First blank in your outline. Indifference is the conscious decision to sidestep an authentic need. Indifference is the opposite of compassion, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. Maybe you've heard it come out of your mouth like this. I don't have time to deal with that. It's not my problem I'm late. I have to get to church. Somebody else will do something, I'm sure. Sometimes indifference sounds like this. Jesus, send somebody else to meet that need. Or maybe this. God, I know you put the need right here in front of me, but I just can't. I don't have the capacity, so I'm choosing to walk around on the other side. Indifference comes in all shapes and sizes, but it always ends exactly the same way. In somebody doing nothing. In someone doing nothing. Maybe we could summarize it this way. Indifference is the refusal to be moved by a need. It's the little switch in our brains that just goes, sorry, too messy. 
The story continues, and Jesus keeps saying this. He goes, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This version, it says he took pity on him. Most other versions says he had compassion on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Why is it important that Jesus calls this guy a Samaritan? I'll tell you why. It's because it really ticked off the Pharisees. That's why. See, the Pharisees were the religious elite, and they looked at Samaritans as as those dirty people. They're the ones that are never going to get it. They're never going to be, they're just never going to quite get to our level And for Jesus to make a Samaritan the hero of his story, every Pharisee in the room would have been going, are you kidding me? They thought the Samaritans were the ones who didn't get it. They were the the secular, irreligious, lost, broken, beyond salvage people who were just never going to quite get clean enough to be a part of the Pharisee club. I love that Jesus picks that guy to be the hero. A regular guy, not a professional Not a pastor, not a have-to kind of person, but a get-to kind of person. You remember that from last week? This guy interrupts his day and meets a legitimate need. What moves him to get involved, I'll tell you what it is, in one word. It's compassion. He can't step around the need. He can't get to the other side because the need is right in front of him. God moves this man's heart to get involved. And instead of stepping around, he moves to step in and meet the need. And we all get moved from time to time, don't we? We we, we see an image on television and it moves us. We hear a story about somebody doing something incredible and it moves us. But more than just being moved, this regular guy steps across the line. He actually acts. He goes across the line of good intention. He actually gets his hands dirty. He goes to him. He deals with his wounds. He uses his own transportation to get the man to safety. He finds him a place of shelter. He ensures the man's care. And then, this is crazy, he picks up the tab. He pays for the whole shot. There's a lesson there. Real compassion, the compassion that comes from the heart of God, will cost you. It'll cost you time, energy, money, and a part of your soul. I'm sure by this time in the story, it was getting really, really quiet in Pharisee land. Jesus isn't done yet. He says this. Uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him? And Jesus told him, you go and do likewise. Be like that guy. That's what Jesus says. Now, here's the tragic outcome of this Bible story for many of us, okay? The tragic outcome is this. We get to the end of it and we go, I got it, Grant. No worries, man. If I see a need, meet it, right? Get it, got it, good, perfect, no problem. Be the good Samaritan. That's the answer. That's the point. I'll take that under advisement. I'll pray that no legitimate needs ever actually interrupt my life and I'm going to be just perfect because then that stuff won't mess up my day. I got it, Grant. Be the good Samaritan. Let's call it good. And now you can move on with communion. Sorry, I can't do that yet. Because here's the golden rule of Bible study. Whenever Jesus tells a story, you need to ask this question. Who am I in the story? Now, some of you are already doing the math and you're going, I get it. I'm 
supposed to be the good Samaritan. Supposed to be the nice guy. I got it. Awesome. You got half the truth in the story. Now some of you are going, okay, well, okay, so if I'm supposed to be the good Samaritan, and where else? Because I know I'm not supposed to be the religious guy. And apparently the role of Jesus isn't up for grabs, so can't want to touch that one with a 100-foot pole, right? And the innkeeper, I guess I could do that part, and it would be really cool to get paid to care. That would be kind of nice, right? But who's left? Can I tell you the truth of the story of the Good Samaritan, the other half? It's true. We are to be the Good Samaritan. But here's the other half, my friends. I'm the man in the road. You're the man in the road. You're dead. Somebody tried to take your life. And you're bleeding out. You and I are the man in the road. Why does Jesus' plea for compassion matter so much to us? I'll tell you why. It's because we're the man in the road. And if we ever forget that, we miss the whole point. Let that sink in. I'm the man in the road who's dying. I got beaten by my own sin. I was taken hostage by my own sin. I got waylaid by my own sin. I got the stuffing beat out of me. And I ended up by the side of the road bleeding out. And I was so messy, most people walked around on the other side because they didn't want anything to do with that sort of a mess. They didn't want to bother with me. I was such a mess, some people walked up and said, that guy's already dead, don't even waste any time with him. But one day, one day, a good Savior came by And praise God, he didn't walk by on the other side of the road. He walked up to my mess, got elbow deep in the mess that my life had become. He he got involved. He stepped in. He began to wash and purify. And at the end of it, when the tab was demanded, this is what he said. This is my body which is broken for you. Don't you ever forget. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you take it, you remember? You were the man in the road. And a very good Savior came and saved your eternal life. I'm going to say it so we all get it. Communion is a reflection of the compassion of Jesus. When he said, this is my body which is broken for you. If you ever need a beautiful picture of compassion, you need go no further than a communion table. So as we prepare to go to communion, here at the